0: The title of today's uh, sermon is Elijah Comes, Elijah Comes, and for those of you who have been a part of our our lessons for the last couple of our sermons for the last couple of weeks, we are beginning a, a very long, a very long adventure through a harmony of the Gospels, a harmony of the Gospels. We've learned in our Sunday school classes that the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that we learn about the The advent of Jesus Christ, of His clothing Himself in human flesh and walking among us and proclaiming the kingdom of God, coming and dying on a cross to save a people for Himself, of His death, burial, and resurrection as ascension into heaven. And we learn about all of those things as we study through the Gospels. And so one of our goals here is going to be to take those four books and to go chronologically uh, through those books and see the life of Christ as it's laid out before us in the inspired word of God. And so we have been talking um, about the eternality of Jesus, that he was before the worlds began, that through him all of the worlds were created, that he is the word, and that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Last week we were together. And I hope that it wasn't too boring for you, but we went through the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus. And we saw last week that God uses broken sticks to what? Draw a straight line, right? We learned that God's people are people. And that every one of us in this room, there's not a single one of us here who has not failed him probably this morning. But we are a sinful people But God uses his people and he he not only uses them, but he forgives them and he loves them and he builds them up and he empowers them to uh, to be his uh, vessels for light. Jesus is the light. We are the vessels that carry that light. And he uses us to proclaim his truth to the world around us. And so we went through that family tree and saw all of the broken families, all of the, the sin and all of the flaws and all of the shortcomings of those people. And yet God was still using those people to bring about his perfect purpose. And if you're in this room today, you are here because someone shared the gospel with you. These apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of his disciples, they were commanded by him to go out and share these truths with the world around them. And because they were faithful to his command, we now have life everlasting. God used those fallen men. God uses broken pastors, fallen pastors. He uses broken people and he brings about his perfect proclamation of his son who is perfect. And that by believing on him, we can have forgiveness. And not only can we be forgiven for our sins, but he will share his salvation with us. He will share his righteousness with us, and we can be a part of his family. And so as we read through these Gospels, we understand that these are the words that have been given to us so that we can know him and believe him. And we'll see that as we begin to get into the lesson today. So I want to look, we'll go ahead and read the entire text. And then as um, we do here, we're going to preach expositionally through the, the verses of the Scripture. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. Elijah is coming. Elijah is coming. Insomuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things which you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, There was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. But it happened that while he was performing his priestly services before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. For you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth." For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the Spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. So as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and be unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to look at that entire section of scripture and we're going to do it we're going to have three we're going to divide it into three parts we're going to first see something called the prologue then we're going to talk about something called the intertestamental period and last of all we're going to see the fourth telling of john the baptist prologue intertestamental period And the forthcoming or the foretelling of John the Baptist. So I want to start with a prologue. Prologue means words before, right? Prologue. And so when we look at the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke, we are seeing Luke's prologue or his introduction. Any of you that read will know that when you take a book and you open it up, generally there's a prologue at the beginning. And in that prologue, usually it'll be a brief summary of what's going to be talked about. And not only that, a lot of times the author will say, and I'm thankful to my wife that she was patient while I wrote this, and and I'm thankful for the the editors that helped me to do it, and they give a lot of thanks involved. And so what uh, Luke is doing here is Luke is giving us an introduction to the gospel of Luke. He's giving us an introduction to the gospel of Luke, and, and that's what this prologue is doing. So look at that first verse. It says, In so much as many have undertaken to uh, compile an account of the things accomplished among us. Account of the things fulfilled or accomplished among us. So what he's saying is there's a lot of people that have wrote down the things that were accomplished among us. Well, what is he referring to? He's referring to Jesus Christ. He's referring to the coming coming. Uh, the visitation and the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of his Lord and Savior. You might want to note that Luke, we're pretty sure, is the only Gentile in all of the writings of the scriptures. All of the other people that wrote the Bible were all Jewish. We think that Luke is the only one that was actually of Gentile descent. And so Luke is saying, I have come to compile an account of the things accomplished among us. I want you to look really quickly with me, if you will, if, if, if you had a slide. <clears throat> I want to look at a couple of passages of Scripture in uh, Hebrews uh, 10 and Psalms 40. Hebrews 10 and Psalms 40. Okay, it says in Hebrews 10, chapter 5, uh, 10 verse 5, it says, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. But a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and in sacrifices for sin you take no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book to do your will, O God. Now this is the writer of Hebrews. I'm pretty sure it was Paul, but you you can argue it with somebody else if you want to. That's okay. But this writer of Hebrews The apostle who is writing this is saying to us that he's actually quoting from the book of Psalms. And what he is saying is that the one who is to come, the one who has come, it was written of him in the scrolls, in the books, to do your will, O God. So why did Jesus come to the earth? He came to do his father's will. And what we learn from that is, is that the entirety of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is a declaration of the will of God. And so everything that Jesus did, and Jesus is doing, and Jesus had done in the past, in eternity past, and in the present, and in eternity future, everything that we need to know about Jesus and everything we need to know about the Father's will is contained for us in the book. And so what uh, the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's pointing back to Psalms. If we can flip it out and look at it. This is Psalm 40, and it's going to sound familiar because he's quoting exactly from the Psalm. And he's saying, then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. So what is he saying? Who's saying that? It is written on the book, Lo I Come, and it is my delight to do your will, O God. Well, who's writing it? David's writing it, but he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and who's he speaking for? He's speaking for Jesus, who some seven, 800 years later is going to come and delight to do his Father's will, and not only be thankful and delight to do his Father's will, but he is going to do everything that his Father wills. He's coming to fulfill all of the promises of his father. And so now Luke is telling us that he is writing an account of the things accomplished among us. So who is he writing about? He's writing about Jesus and all of his accomplishments. Those from the beginning, eyewitnesses, servants of the word, handed down to us. So who are the people that are writing these gospels? the eyewitnesses and the servants who handed down these words. And why did he do that? It seemed fitting for me, having investigated carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. Now, we think Theophilus, that word means God. uh, It means uh, lover of wisdom or lover of God. Theo is the prefix for God and philos is the... Uh, suffix for love and so it's saying lover of God some people think that this Theophilus was someone who uh, supported Luke financially as he wrote what he wrote paid him and made sure that he was taken care of so that he could write this book and this is not only this book but as anybody know it's not only Luke when Luke writes he's got a two volume book it's Luke and the Acts of the Apostles so it's a two volume book that Luke is writing And if y'all have watched any movie, I talked to my mom last night. She was watching The Hobbit, and there's like five different uh, movies involved with that one book. But it's volumes, different separate volumes. And so Luke is writing these volumes, and volume one is Luke, what Jesus did, and then Acts, what his apostles did through the power of the Holy Spirit. The, The proper title for the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit who indwelled these apostles to do what they did. So Luke has wrote down uh, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and he is presenting it to this man Theophilus. Why? Investigating carefully and writing down in an orderly sequence. Well, let's look at this passage in Second Peter. We're going to look at a passage in Second Peter. It says, know this. First of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit of God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so what is Luke doing? Luke is writing an account for you and I, for Theophilus, for all those who will read these words The words of God so that we can know, so that we can know Jesus and know the truth. So that you might know the certainty of what you have been taught. All right? And I want every one of you in this room to hear that. Anything that comes from this pulpit, you need to get your Bible and take your time and dig into what's being preached from here. And make sure that you are being taught the exact truth of the word of God. So Luke has given you the platform and the foundation and says, this is the truth, and anything that does not rest and settle on it falls away. These are eternal truths that we have so that we can know God. I'll share one more quick passage from you from the book of John. Uh, if you look at John chapter 20, verse 31, it says this, But these things have been written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, The Son of God, and that believing in his name, you may have life in his name. So what is he saying? We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. The Word of God and the Spirit of God always work together. And the only way that anyone in this room has been saved or will be saved is through the proclamation of the truths of God's Word and the power of God's Spirit at work in their life. And what will happen? He'll start drawing you to him. You'll start realizing that you've been living a lie. You'll start realizing that you're living in darkness and that there's a light that you can have. You'll start seeing that there is an eternal kingdom for those who will receive him and believe him. And God, through the power of his word and through the power of his spirit, draws a people unto himself. And so what we're seeing here is that these words are written so that you can know. And I want to encourage each and every one of you in this room. If you're not spending time in your word on the daily, you are not able to know him. You have got to spend time in his word. I can almost smell the food creeping in through the social hall back there. I am looking forward to a Thanksgiving meal. But the Bible is our meat, our milk and our meat. And it is what builds us up and makes us the the people of God. And if you are not feeding on his word, then you are going to stay immature and crippled and weak. This is what God has given us so that we can know him and so that we can believe him. And so Luke is writing these things so that we can know him, so that we can have a certainty of what we have been taught. We can have a blessed assurance. Any of you in this room, like me, you have probably at times in your life doubted your salvation. All right? There's one of two reasons why you would doubt your salvation. Number one, because you're not saved. And God is at work in your heart getting you to repent and turn from sin and self and turn to his son Jesus Christ alone. Another reason that we may doubt our salvation is because when we do not walk in fellowship with him, if I'm his child and he's my father and I am not in his presence with him, and not living like my father, I'm going to be miserable. And one of the signs of that misery is my doubting. You will find that when you stay in his word and when you walk in his word, that you find a peace and a happiness and assurance that this world simply cannot give you. So these things are our blessed assurance, and Luke is making sure that we understand these things. Now, it's, um, I want to share with you just a, a statement uh, from, from a, a confession of faith uh, that we, we study here. It says, it pleased the Lord at many times and in, in many ways to reveal himself and declare his will to his church. And afterward, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for a more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, the malice of Satan and the world, to commit these things to writing." Which makes the holy scriptures to be most necessary. The former ways of God revealing his will unto his people is now ceased. Now, why did I bring that up? Because we're fixing to see a passage of scripture where an angel is going to come and talk to a priest. And when you read the Bible all through the Old Testament, you will see that God speaks to people in different ways. He speaks to them through burning bushes, He speaks to them through His voice, He speaks to them through angels. He even spoke to one man through a donkey, right? God in the Old Testament uses all kind of ways to speak to his people. But what we know now is, is that now that we have his word and it has been submitted to writing, that he don't speak to us that way anymore. He speaks to us through his word. And that's going to be hard for me and you to grasp because we want a sign. We want to know something. You've got to show me something. Show me and I'll believe you. And one of the major gist of Scripture, and one of the things that you will learn as we go through this life of Christ, is that it is not proof; it is not evidence that allows you to see, but it's faith that allows you to see. The, Jesus said, "If a dead man was to come stand up here in this pulpit and tell you that God is alive and that Jesus is the Savior." if you're, one of your dead relatives come back from the dead and stood here and preached to you this morning, you would not believe him without faith. Yes. And not only faith, but faith that is grounded in the Word of God because this is what Jesus said about that dead man coming back. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them believe them. And so what you'll find is in the Bible, <clears throat> we are taught that it is not seeing that causes believing but it is believing that allows us to see. And the only way that we can believe is through the truth. So we need the Word, we need the Spirit, and that is what Luke is providing for us here. All right, so that gets rid of the, uh, the prologue, the first four verses. Well, it doesn't get rid of it, but we're, we're done talking with the beginning. And so what I want to talk about really quickly is something known as the intertestamental period. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jewish people today... When they have a Passover meal, they have an empty chair at their table, and it's called Elijah's chair. Not only that, when they have a circumcision of a male child, they have Elijah's chair sitting there to watch as the child is circumcised. What does it mean to circumcise a Jewish child? It it means that in the Jewish eyes, they become a child of the covenant, a child of the promise. All right? So... If you go to a Jewish home for a Passover meal, there's going to be a separate chair sitting all by itself waiting for Elijah to come and sit down and join them at the table. Now, that's happening today. This very day, they still do that. Well, why? Why? Well, because they are following their traditions. And not only that, they're following their interpretation of the Word of God. Let's turn to the book of Malachi really quickly and look at a few passages of Scripture in Malachi. Now, Malachi is the last of the Old Testament canon. The book of Malachi is the last of the Old Testament canon. And he was a prophet. He was uh, only four chapters. It's very small. But let's look at a couple of passages. Let's look at Malachi 3.1. It says this. Behold... That means see, right? Behold means to see. Anytime you hear that in the Bible, behold, it means look, there's something to see here. Now, how do we see? By faith. faith. Very good. By believing we see. So what is he saying? Look, everybody, believe this. It says, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts all right so malachi makes a prophecy and what did he say i'm going to send my messenger and he's going to come before me to prepare a way and then the lord that you seek will come to his temple and watch this and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming So the Jewish people interpret that, and what they're saying is Elijah is the messenger of the covenant. And the reason why he's got an empty seat at their table and the reason why he's sitting there at the circumcision of that baby boy is because that baby boy is being introduced into the Jewish, the old covenant. And not only that, but Elijah is there smiling on the whole procession because he is the messenger of the covenant. You see how that works? But the problem is Elijah is not the messenger that will appear in the temple. Elijah runs from the temple and goes out into the wilderness. Who is the messenger that comes into the temple and flips the table and says, my house, this is my father's house? You see? So to this very day, the Jewish people are looking for Elijah to come. ...to this very day. Let's look at a couple more of those passages of Scripture there. Look in um, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. It says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah... ...the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the father to their children... ...and the hearts of the children to their fathers, ...so that I will not come and smite them with a curse. So the promise is Elijah is coming... ...and he's preparing the way for the day of the Lord... When we read in the book of the Revelation we're going to see you see Moses and somebody else comes and preaches, right? Moses and Elijah, they come and they preach the gospel. And so Elijah is not only a real and true prophet who was in the Old Testament, one of the greatest prophets ever. He got a double mantle from Elisha, remember? And, and he, he's one of the greatest prophets that they ever had. He's the one that went toe-to-toe with Jezebel and Ahab and uh, the prophets of Baal. He's a, a mighty man of God. But what the Old Testament is promising is is that before the Messiah comes, Elijah's going to come and prepare the way for him. And then that last passage in Matthew 19, look what Jesus says. As they were coming down from the mountain. Now, this is the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus and John and James and Peter, James and John, the three closest disciples, have just seen Jesus transfigured into his glorified body. And they have seen Elijah and Moses who are alive and with Jesus and in their glorified bodies before he ever died on the cross. So that's something for you to put in your pipe and smoke on for a little while, right? Jesus, Elijah, and Moses are all alive. Well, Moses represents what? The law of God, and Elijah represents what? The prophets of God, and what did God say about his son? Uh, Peter said, hey, let's build a tent for Elijah and Moses, and what did God, the father, say about his son? This is my son. Hear him. Hear him. So what he's saying is, is Elijah and Moses all taught and wrote about him. The entire Bible is about Jesus. And so Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and he says, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. All right, then what happens? And the disciples ask him, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Well, before we go to the next verse, let's ask that. Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Because that's what the prophet Malachi said. They're adhering to what their Old Testament scriptures say. But they're reading it from a physical understanding. Instead of the spiritual reality. And the truth that it points to. They're seeing a nat- something natural. When it's a, a spiritual reality. And look what it says next. And he answered and said. Elijah is coming. And will restore all things. What does that mean? God always keeps his promises. He said Elijah is coming. Elijah will come. And look what it says. But I say to you. That Elijah's already came. And they did not recognize him, but they did him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. What did Jesus just say? Elijah's already been here. He came in the spirit. And he came in the spirit. He was John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is the Elijah that is prophesied in Malachi that is going to come and preach the gospel and prepare the way for the Lord. And what did Jesus say? They did not recognize him. They did not recognize who he was. And not only that, they did what they wished. What did they do to John the Baptist? They cut his head off. And not only that, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into their hands as well. So what's he saying? His Old Testament people, the very people that he chose would not choose him. They rejected him and nailed him to a cross. But Elijah, the prophet, who their scriptures say was coming, came, and what did they do? They could not see him. They would not believe him. Why? Because they lacked a heart of faith. They could not see him. And this very day, it should be heartbreaking to every one of us as children of God to know that these... Precious people are sitting around a Passover table waiting for a promise to be fulfilled that's already been fulfilled. Elijah's already come, and he prepared the way. And then the real messenger of the covenant stepped into his temple. You see how that works? And so we have this intertestamental period, and what happens is from the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew, there's roughly 400 years of deadness. Nothing. No visions, no prophecies, no prophets. It's a time of dead orthodoxy and ritual. People drowning in their tradition and in their ceremonies. And now that's when we step into the last part of our text, which is the foretelling of John's birth. Remember, God always keeps his promises. God sent his messengers in the Old Testament to proclaim those promises. And now he's going to have a new messenger that's going to come that is going to open up the New Testament promises to not only the people of God, the nation of Israel, but to the Gentiles as well. And so that is the this process of us being introduced to John the Baptist and who he is going to be. So let's look at that really quickly. It's, um, we've already read the text, Luke 1, verse 5 through 25. So I'm going to quickly go through some of those verses with you. In verse 5, we see Herod, the king of Judea. All right, we should know this guy Herod. He does not like God, and he does not like the people of God. He's going to be the one that's going to try to kill Jesus later on. But Zechariah, we are introduced to him. Zechariah is John the Baptist's dad. And what does Zechariah do for a living? He is a priest. What is one of the mandatory requirements for you to be a priest? You have to be... uh, uh, Actually, um, all of these priests were all married and had kids. Like John the Baptist had kids. He's going to have a kid here. So it's not really abstinence. It's you have to be a Levite. You have to be from the tribe of Levi. Only the Levites were allowed to be priests in the temple. So we know that John the Baptist is a priest. And we know that he is the father of John. We also know that he has a wife whose name is Elizabeth. And she is the daughter of Aaron. Now, why does it bring that up? What's the point of bringing that up, that she's the daughter of Aaron? Well, guess what tribe or family Aaron is from? The Levites, the Levites yeah. Aaron is the high priest. So he's a Levite. So not only has John the Baptist got a daddy that qualifies, but he's got a mama that qualifies too. And so what do they do? uh, His dad's a priest and his mom is his mom and they are a righteous people. You see that in verse 6? It says that they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. Now, when you think of righteousness, we need to remember that their righteousness is a righteousness based on faith. And their obedience is a walking out of that faith. We're going to see in just a minute that uh, uh, Zechariah doubts. And doubt is a sin, unbelief is a sin. He's going to be told by an angel that they're going to have a baby, and he's going to doubt. So it's not saying that they're sinless. It's saying that they're righteous. What does that mean? They have the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ, through faith. So they're believers, and they're walking out their faith by living their lives according to their calling and what God has called them to do. So they are both righteous. They both have a saving faith, and a saving faith is a working faith. If you are a child of God, you're going to act like your dad. All right, so he says then that they have no children, and Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in their years. Now, really quickly, all through the Bible, this term barren is a big term. What does it mean? You can't have babies, right? There's all kind of barren women in the Bible. Hannah was barren, and Sarah was barren, and who else? Mary was barren. Well, what do you mean Mary was barren? She didn't know a man. She was not supposed to physically be able to have a baby. She had a barren womb. Rachel, and the spirit, Rachel, and the spirit of God came in and filled that womb with Jesus. Yeah. And the reality is is that you and I without Jesus Christ have barren hearts. Our hearts are not able to be alive it is a new birth it is regeneration it is a gift of god that brings a salvation to us so that we can come forth and have faith and walk obediently with him and so she's barren and remember in the jewish mindset a woman that did not have a baby was a what cursed woman she must have done something wrong in her life to not have babies but what did what does god's word say about elizabeth she's righteous she's a believer And sometimes God blesses us with barrenness. What in the world? I hate to tell you, but Christianity is not the prosperity gospel. Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we don't find cures for our diseases. Sometimes our bank accounts get empty. Sometimes our jobs fall apart in our our hands. Sometimes our families stray from God. There's a lot of barrenness in this world that we live in. And sometimes God will bring that barrenness on his own people so that they will stop depending on themselves and depend on him. All right? So what's happened? We got these barren wounds. So Zechariah goes into the temple. He's chosen by Lot. That's not uh, the guy that uh, fled from Sodom, right? That was about... 1400 years before that. Chosen by Lot means that they would draw straws basically or draw names out of a hat. And it was his turn to go into the temple and serve. He goes into the temple. He burns incense. Incense is a spirit, uh, physical uh, act that represents a spiritual reality, which is what? What goes up? Our prayers. And so Zechariah is in the temple offering incense. He's praying not only for the people, but we're going to find out that he was praying for himself too, wasn't he? Right? We're going to find out he was praying for himself. So, Zechariah is confronted by an angel. And what does it say happens when he's confronted by this angel? What does he do? He is terribly afraid. Anytime that somebody meets an angel in the Bible, always, an angel always has to say, don't be afraid. Why? Because God is a holy, holy, holy God, and his angels are holy angels. And when we and our sinful nature are confronted with God's holiness, it is a terrifying thing. It is meant to drive us to our knees and drive us out of ourselves and drive us to the cross. God's holy, a holy God. And the Bible says that a fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Be afraid. Be very afraid. And then he falls on his face and what does the angel say? Don't be afraid. See, not only is God a judging and just God, God is a merciful and a forgiving God. And he has sent this angel to Zechariah to give him a message of hope. So he says, do not be afraid. And then it says, your barren wife will have a son and he will be uh, named John. The word John means, uh, the name John means gift from God. I think that's pretty cool. John is a gift from God. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be set apart as a Nazarite. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his womb. So he's going to be separate to God, and he's not going to live like the rest of his people. He's not going to drink, he's not going to drink wine, he's going to be a Nazarite, right? Y'all, Samson, y'all remember Samson was a Nazarite. <clears throat> but something very interesting there, he's going to be filled with the spirit of God from the womb. What does that mean? He's going to be saved in the womb. I've heard people make statements about, well, you think babies go to hell. No, I think God can save his people wherever they are. If it's an invalid laying in a bed that doesn't have the mental capacity to make a decision to trust God, if that is God's child, God will save them. He has the ability to reach in the womb before a child is accountable and make them his child. And that's what we see with John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit reaches into that womb and fills John with his spirit so that John can already in the womb be prepared to walk the way that God has called him to walk. You see, this is a regenerative act of of, uh, John the Baptist. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit from his womb. Why is he filled with the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 16. So that he can turn the sons of Israel back to the Lord. Those people in that temple with all those fancy robes and all of that fancy talks and the PhDs hanging on their walls and and they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't chew and they don't mess around with those that do. They're good people, but they are turned away from God. They are drowning in self-righteousness and self-will and self-sufficiency and John the Baptist has come to turn them back to the Lord in repentance. And so God is empowering him to do that. He will go before him. This is verse 17. That's what, That what should ring bells. us about the prophecy. The, the messenger will come before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the children back to God. To turn the bis- disobedient to righteousness and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So what is the prophet's job? To go and proclaim the truth of God. And it was an ugly truth, but a truth that definitely needed to be heard. He called them a bunch of snakes and vipers. He said, you're a bunch of snakes. You're of your father, the devil. Repent and believe the gospel or you will likewise perish. And he came out and he preached a hard message. Why? Because God is a just God and we need to be able to what? Fear him. And the preaching of John the Baptist drove a people to fear God and turn from themselves and to turn back to their Lord. That's what the Spirit empowered John to do. He went and preached that. Zechariah responded in doubt. He said, me and my wife are old. Right? The Bible tells us that the natural man receives not the things of God. They're foolishness, and he can't understand them. Now, John is a righteous man. Zechariah is a righteous man, and he is a believer, but yet he has doubts. Right? We should always take our doubts to the Word of God. It is in the word of God that we found assurance for our doubts. There's nothing wrong with doubt as long as it drives you to the truth. The devil will get you to doubt because he wants you to turn from God. The Holy Spirit will bring doubt so that you will turn to God. And that's how you can always tell the difference. If your doubts and fears are driving you to the word of God to know the truth, then that's God's spirit at work in your life. If your doubts are causing you to avoid God and stay away from him, then it's from the enemy from the serpent. So he's going to drive his people back to God. But he's doubting. He's a natural man and Gabriel reminds him I was sent by God to give you good news. What did Gabriel done? He's the messenger. The word angel means messenger. This messenger has come to give uh, Zechariah what? The word of God. The promise of God. Why did he come? To give Gabriel uh, Zachariah the truth. And so He said, now that you have not believed me, you will be mute until everything that I told you is going to happen will be fulfilled. Now, it reminds me of something that I have been guilty of a lot of times in my life. And I know that most of you in this room have been guilty of it as well. How many of you have ever said, well, I'm just not going to share my gospel. I'm not going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody because they might ask me something I don't know. I'm just not sure right? Well, what's happened? you got your mouth closed because you doubt. If that word that is in you is alive, and it is the word of God and the promise of God, then all you have to know is that all you do is sow the seeds. Just share the word of God and let God do the work. He'll sort them out. He'll convict who needs to be convicted and judge who needs to be judged and save and forgive who needs to be saved. You just share the word with people. But our doubts will cause us to be silent. So, Zechariah responds in unbelief. Now, Elizabeth responds in acknowledgement. And she acknowledges God's favor on her life. So, we'll finish with this. These two, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were God's faithful servants. And when they were presented with the word of God, they doubted. But we see Elizabeth may have had some doubts, but Elizabeth also acknowledged God and his mercy. Yes. Eventually she was won over by his truth, wasn't she? Because once Mother Nate, well not Mother Nature, once Father God took over, yes. she realized that he wasn't lying. When that child was kicking in her womb, she knew God keeps his promises. And she was thankful for that. She was thankful that she had a God who had given her a child, a a special child. So I ask you this morning, and we'll finish with this, how do you respond to the word of God? Are you his child? Do you long and delight to walk with him, to read his word, to know his word, to study his word, to grow in that truth? Or are you like the temple goers who simply were just rolling along because this is what we do and this is how we've always done it and, well, it's Sunday, I got to go. Well, they would have said it's Saturday, I got to go to the temple and and just got into the, the everyday natural walk of religion. Or do you know God's word and do you love God's word and do you believe him? When you have doubts in your life, do you turn to God's word to find assurance for yourself? Are you and I righteous in God's eyes? The only way that comes is through faith. The only way that that comes is by turning to his son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross for us. That's the only way that we can be saved. That is the only way that we can be forgiven. That is the only way that we can have a righteousness that God will approve. It's not through works of our hands, not to the law's commands, but it's through grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sins. So I ask you, are you walking with God? And are you waiting expectantly in in faith? There may be someone here today who has never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you know without a doubt that you need to trust him. Based on the authority of the word of God and the truth of that that word, repent. Stop living in what you are doing or what you have done. Stop living in sin. Stop living the way that you're living. Stop trusting in what you are doing or stop trusting in what you have done or stop hiding in all of your shame and your guilt and turn away from this world, turn away from your flesh turn away from Satan and turn to what Jesus Christ did on the cross he will forgive you and save you he has never said no to a single person that turned to him and said oh God forgive me so with that said we will close with a final hymn and uh, I pray that you see him And I pray that you believe him. And I pray that you will trust him and walk with him. He will never, ever let you down.